laptops working, so that's a good sign. It's always a good service when you don't want to stop worshiping. Let's believe God's going to do something. Um, yeah, mic's fine. Everybody can hear me? Cool stuff. Appreciate it. Uh, so, yeah, my name is Pierre. I'm one of the community leaders here in uh, City Ball. And, uh, yeah, I'm just really uh, very, very honored uh, just to be uh, at this service, uh, the overflow service. Uh, thank you. My wife also brought me water, but now I've got a double anointing. <coughs> yeah, and, um, yeah, so this boss Monday, uh, Luke sends me a message. He's like, hey, Pierre, would you, uh, would you like to just preach? And... Uh, Anybody who knows me for a little while, I love the Word of God. I love teaching. I love preaching. Um, so I just prayed, and uh, I felt God's going to be with me. Um, so if this goes bad, we know I'm not listening properly. But um, we're going to go through it. Um, so the message that Luke asked me to, to teach on is living in the light of eternity, uh, which sounds simple enough. And... Uh, as I was prepping, I said to my wife, it's, it's just one of those things where I was chewing on this thing throughout the whole week, and uh, yeah, it got to today, and I was like, okay, I'm taking my final notes, and, and God just changed the whole message. Loves when he loves when he does something like that, because uh, it keeps me on edge. And, um, but while I was just spending some time with God, um, the first thing God really just reminded me about is how frail and how fragile this world is. Um, and I was just reminded about it's it's a little bit more than a year now that all of our lives changed. Uh, this whole world was turned upside down while we were looking at our TV screens. And we have another family meeting uh, that's looming ahead of us. And as God was showing this to me, there was just such a compassion for, you know, some of us really went through, through hell. It was a difficult season. It is a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. and. God just reminded me about we need to see this world for what it is, that it is completely broken. It is broken. So, what a chipper message. So, in light of all of that, I would love us just to turn to our first scripture, uh, which is going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to quickly, well, I'm saying turn your Bibles there, everybody. Just pull out your app and go. Gone is the days we were looking for Colossians in the New or in the Old Testament. So. Apps have made our lives so much easier. I'm going to quickly read the, the scripture for you. And uh, we're going to take a little bit of a detour, but I believe God has something for us that is just going to bring us so much freedom uh, and just so much healing in, in a time I really do believe we need it. Uh, so I'm going to read this for you. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you, have, uh, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Such a beautiful promise we have at the end of Colossians. And... <clears throat> I think that the first thing that we, we, we need to answer is, so when, when Paul writes this, he, he starts it off actually with a question. He says, if then. So he poses this question to the church of Colossians, where he's like, 
Guys, if then, if you still believe this, if the revelation of you've been resurrected with Christ is still inside of you, this is your next natural response, is to set your mind on the things above. So the next big question is, what is that? What, is, what does it mean when it says, seek the things that are above? And I would like us to answer the question by first saying what I believe it is not. And what I, not, what I, what I believe it is not is somehow that we have this mindset or we start taking this posture that we, are, we, we don't live in the harsh reality of this world. We are unable to see we live in this kind of utopia room out there. We are so disconnected from the reality of the world that we cannot see the brokenness of it. And why I say that is, Paul is literally writing this letter to the Colossian church while he's in prison. So while he's in prison, he's pending it down. Guys, like, I want you to, to tell you what is important is set your minds on the things above. And I've actually seen this in my 11 years of being saved where people have this kind of mindset. And I'll never forget this, this one well-known preacher. He did this quote. He said, do not be so heavenly minded that you are of no earthly good. Don't live so far out there that you have absolutely no interaction in trying to change this world that we find ourselves in. See, a heavenly mindset does not pretend that there is no darkness. It only gives us the correct lenses in how we view darkness. That is, it's a place for us to run into to shine light as children of light. So what I've, reali- what I've realized in this is a lot of us very hopeful expectations that have been destroyed by harsh reality. We had hopeful expectations. This is what I believe God's going to do. This is how I believe my life's going to be planned out. And all of a sudden, you are faced with a harsh reality that now destroys this hope. And at the end of the day, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to try and protect yourself. So we spend a lot of time and a lot of money on trying to prevent harsh realities to destroy our hopeful expectations. What I mean with that is we stay in gated communities. We have alarm systems. I mean, even on Facebook, we use filters. So because we do not want to face rejection, we build walls to, to, to protect ourselves against harsh realities. Uh, just a personal testimony from my own, own life. Um, came out of a very broken relationship. Uh, went back into church after God was gracious enough to call me back. I uh, met this girl that I really liked, and uh, everybody's thinking at the back, it's a blonde. <laughs> and uh, while we met, uh, I had, a, I had a, a very good friend, Tian, and we used to train together, we used to gym together, and my, my conversations with him kind of sounded like this. Like the Monday we go, and I'm like, you know what, she's, I like the way she looks, she's in church, I'm in church, she loves Jesus, I love Jesus, I feel the go-ahead. I'm going to go for it. And we used to do Bible studies together. And then something in that evening just kind of jostled my heart a little bit. I was fearful or whatever the case may be. So the Tuesday, I'm like, no, 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 I don't think it's the right time. You know, so what I was doing is I had hopeful expectations that, you know what, we can actually make this work. But fear, because of the harshness of the reality of a previous revelation, kept me from pursuing it. Luckily, at the end of the day, my wife just said to me, do you want a date? And I said, yes. So thank God. <laughs> thank God for grace and boldness. I think even, I think even Jesus was like, Odin, you better do something. We're not getting, we're not getting through to Pierre. 
and um, it's not just a personal testimony. Um, there's this this beautiful encounter for me um, with God and Moses uh, in the Old Testament that I would love us to look at. Uh, you can maybe put that scripture up so long. Sorry, Tracy. Uh, Exodus chapter 6, verse 1 to 13. Quite a long scripture. I'm going to read through it fast. But just to kind of give you a little bit of a backstory, I don't know how many of you know the story of Moses. So Moses was um, a, a, a Jewish or Israelite. And uh, at that stage, Pharaoh had the commandment that any uh, male born should be thrown into river or should be killed uh, because he was uh, scared of you know, the Israelites that are growing and can wage war eventually against the Egyptian empire. And eventually, Moses' mother puts him in a basket. He ends up uh, with Pharaoh's daughter that actually looks after him and raises him up. And But he just has this disconnect. And then the one time looking out of the window, he kind of sees this uh, Egyptian mistreat another Israelite or Hebrew, and he beats him to death. So I'm definitely never going to challenge Moses. He would have done well in the UFC. Um, and he runs. He runs into the wilderness. He flees. Starts building a new life there. And God shows up in a burning bush. And he gives Moses this command. He says, Moses, I'm, I'm going to use you to deliver the people. I want you to go to Pharaoh. You're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And I will be with you. He sends even Aaron with him. And Moses goes to Pharaoh. This is not here. You're not going to find it yet. Here. This is the second verse. So. Moses goes to Pharaoh with this command from God, with this word of God, with this promise of God. God's going to set his people free. And he gives the report to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's response was, who's God? I know the Egyptian gods. I myself am a God. I don't know the God that you are talking about. And he actually increases the punishment and the severity of the burdens on the Israelites. And Pharaoh does what so many of us does or do. We, he goes back to God. He says, God, <laughs> if you read chapter 5, it goes so far. He actually goes to God and he says, God, you have done evil to your people. How crazy is that? But that was the harsh reality. He had hopeful expectation that God was going to do this. God is going to set his people free. And all of a sudden, it was met with harsh reality. And Moses' whole report changes. I want us to look at verse, oh, chapter 6, verse 1 to 13. This is God's response to Moses. Often challenges God, if I can say it, uh, with a lot of reverence. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abram and Isaac and to Jacob and as God Almighty. But I did not make the Lord, uh, sorry, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they have lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I remember my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out of under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a great axe of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out of under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring into uh, sorry, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give you uh, for a pos- uh, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Now look at Moses' response. So Moses spoke to the people of Israel. This is verse nine. 
But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery, harsh reality. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let, uh, let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am uncircumcised lips. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So what is beautiful for me, the first thing is that in, our, in the reality of harsh reality, in the light of harsh, harsh reality, God is still seen interacting with man. He doesn't stand outside of it. I mean, God's, if, if it was me, if I'm just very, very honest, and I have this plan for the people and I have a way of doing it. And the first time they challenge me, I'll just say, okay, well, go and do it yourself. You sort it out. You drive out the Egypt, Jepson. But God doesn't take that stance with Moses. He engages with Moses. And what he actually does, there's three things God points out to Moses. First thing he points out to Moses is there's a problem. And the problem is not the Egyptians. The problem is that the testimony from Moses sounds a lot like the testimony of Pharaoh, who is God. See, Moses confronting God or taking that posture toward God reveals a lot of the heart of Moses in that situation, that he does not know God the way he should. So he gets this revelation. What's the first thing God says to him? I am the Lord. That is our comfort. He is God. He is almighty. He reigns over everything. The next thing Moses reminds, oh, sorry, the next thing God reminds Moses about is that there's a story. He lists Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you study a little bit of the Bible, their stories had challenges. It wasn't always easy. What God reminds Moses in that moment is, as I was with Abraham, as I was with Isaac, as I was with Jacob, I am with you. I am faithful to see this thing through. And then God goes on about the pride. God will do what he says he will do. It's one thing I believe in today's society and maybe even after tonight's meeting with uh, our president that we need to understand that God will do what he says he will do. He will have absolute victory. He will make everything down for good and for his glory at the end of the day. So how does this tie into our scripture in Colossians? Glad you asked for the three people that did. See, Paul also highlights three points. The, pub, the problem. So in verse 1 he says, if then you were raised with Christ, and another thing is he said in verse 3, for you have died. And I think if we are honest, if we have these harsh realities, a lot of us have had actually this discussion with God. Where we had hopeful expectations, we have a harsh reality, we go to God with quite like this, this posture of God. What happened? I trusted you. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 44 where the psalmist writes, Why sleepest thou, O Lord? And it was something that just resonated with my heart because there were seasons in my life where I trusted God or I think this was going to be what I'm going to get. This is my hopeful expectation just to have it destroyed by harsh reality. And what I love is God still met me in that place. He didn't shy away and say, oh, why are you questioning me? He still met me in that place of despair and desperation and revealed himself to me. And as I walked with him and got to know his character and his faithfulness, we got married. He's dead. <laughs> didn't disappear. 
are we one of our problems? Are we maybe still too alive for this world? I believe, especially in today's age and with COVID and all these sort of things, is we are being taught that what is wisdom, what we should be doing, is just isolating. It's me, myself, and my little bubble of a world. We build up very, very high walls. That's not the way we should live. Christians should be on the front line of brokenness. To speak hope, to speak life, to speak the message that we say we believe, that we have been resurrected with Christ. Paul also says that there's a story in Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ. I love this. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is not in heaven waging war still. He's one. He is seated in full control with the Father. The story ends well. And I believe we live in a world and in a culture that wants to challenge us as more and more. Do we believe the harsh reality that we face ourselves in? Or do we believe the Bible? Do we believe that God is going to do what he's going to do? He's seated. Christ is now seated at the right hand of God. Jesus tested the harsh reality of the world. There's one thing I always love when I go through the Gospels and I read through the Gospels. The Bible, in, in the book of Hebrews, it says it very beautifully. It says, we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weakness, but in all things we're tempted yet without sin. So let us approach the throne of grace. How can it say we sympathize with our weakness? Jesus knew betrayal. One of the twelve, Judas, comes and betrays Jesus with a kiss. Jesus knows the taste of betrayal. Jesus knows the taste of exhaustion. He goes, he's on his way, he, he moves through on, uh, to Judea through Samaritan. And it says, the Bible says it gets to a place where he's so exhausted that he sends his disciples to go and, and get food and he wants to collapse because he is so tired. Jesus knows when we're in that season, we are overwhelmed and we are exhausted. Jesus knows the heartache of suffering and losing a close friend with the death of Lazarus. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And Jesus also knows disappointment. Gets his closest three, his three homeboys, the guys that are supposed to go the mall in his darkest time at Gethsemane. He says, guys, just pray with me. My hour is coming, pray with me. Just to turn around and see them sleeping. Jesus knows disappointment. We will do well in remembering the saints that have walked before us. We will do well to remember that Jesus walked before us. The prize. This is the beautiful promise we have in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Jesus already overcame this world. With all the brokenness and all the the, the pain and the hurt of this world will one day bow its, its knee. One thing I realize when it comes to our lives is that we, you know, even in prepping for this message, God kind of challenged me. He was like, yeah, what if you die tomorrow? It's going to suck. It's not what I'm expecting. I'm, I'm, I'm standing at this place with this mic in my hand, believing that I'm probably going to get old. We're going to buy a house. This is kind of things that I set my mind to. This is what's going to be. And it's not bad things to have, guys. But what I, I realize is we need to hold these things with very open hands towards God. Just very open hands, God. 
God, this is my plan. This is what I'm expecting. I'm trusting you in it. But even if you don't, you're God. And I can look forward to eternity with him. And that's the prize, that there is eternity. I would like us to, look, and I'll, I'll start landing with this. My wife's already nodding at me. Hey, mindset, keep it short. Philippians 3, verse 12 to 14. Probably one of the um, men I just have the most respect for is the Apostle Paul. I mean, that guy was just dead. He's dead to this world. <laughs> like, you could do nothing. I mean, the testimony of Paul was to live as Christ, to die as gain. He was literally, guys, like, if I die, that's me moving into glory. That's a good spot for me to be in. I don't think a lot of us have the same testimony. But he was, I, I love this verse in, from, uh, from verse 12 to 14. Uh, let me just see where I posted it. Looks like it's the one scripture I didn't copy and paste. Yeah, but on there, okay. ESV, praise Jesus. What a good Bible version. <laughs> now that I have already, opt- not that I have already obtained it. This is the testimony of Paul. This is a man that tells dead people to stop being dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining, other versions will say pushing, forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The honesty of Paul to be able to say, guys, I'm not perfect. I don't always get this perfect. It, it just brings me so much comfort. Because if I'm honest, in my 11 years of walking with God, it looks like one of those very serious roller coasters. There was great highs and there was terrible lows. Paul's like, yep, he's been there. He's been to that place where, God, this is, this is not always easy. It's not always easy to let go of the things of the past. It's not always easy. You know, it's like I said, you know, some of us, it's, it's maybe the last year and a half. Some of us, it's, we're still holding on to when we had this hopeful expectation that, God, you're going to do this. And we were disappointed by a harsh reality and we haven't let that go. And now we've just given up hope because it's safer. Safer to just not go on that ledge anymore. We'll rather stay here. Protect myself. God's like, what? I am the Lord. I am God. He reveals himself to us. This should be our hunger. This should be our focus. God, I want to let go. Before we can go forward, before we can have the mindset to view into eternity, the first thing we need to go is, God, I'm going to let go. It's amazing that somebody as profound as the Apostle says, I do this one thing, God. I do this one thing. He also said he prayed more in tongues than anybody else. But this was his focus. We need to be honest with ourselves. We look and say, God, what am I holding on to? Where did I have this hopeful expectation? For some reason, it just didn't work out, God, and I'm blaming you if I'm honest. I'm not trusting you like I used to. I'm not on fire as I used to, God. I've given this up because, God, I just don't want to be hurt again because harsh reality has hit me. God enters into partial. 